Well, hey, Grace, great to be with you all today. Nothing like a snowy time change Sunday in March to get, make you want to get up and go to church. <laughs> so way to go. Thanks for getting us off to a great start here. It is a great day. It's the first Sunday in the season of uh, we call Lent, a season of spiritual focus and reflection as we make our way towards, uh, towards Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So I'm glad we can begin together today. Uh, for this particular season, as we begin our message each week, I'm going to suggest that we stand and read together the scripture text for that particular day. So I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, if you would stand with me as we read, and we can bring up the house lights as well. And we're going to be reading. Uh, you can listen along as I read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over their region. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, do you remember your first real prayer? Now, I'm not talking about the prayers you learned to pray uh, in church or around the dinner table or when your parents tucked you into bed at night. But the first time you cried out to God in a moment of need, just said the words you needed to say. A prayer not prompted by anyone else, not listened, listened to by anyone else, prompted only by your own desire to talk to God. I'm talking about your first unfiltered prayer. I think I remember mine. I was about seven years old because I remember the house that we were living in at the time. And all of a sudden, at seven years old, I had this fear that maybe I wasn't really saved, that I wasn't really a Christian. Now, I had asked Jesus to be my Savior when I was five years old at Vacation Bible School, but suddenly at seven years old, I was afraid maybe it didn't take. <laughs> now, I don't know if maybe I'd done something bad that I felt guilty about, or maybe a Sunday school teacher or a preacher put the fear of God into me. I don't know. But at seven years old, I was terrified that Jesus might not be my Savior and I might not be going to heaven. And so I very clearly remember one day going out of the house to the shed in the backyard where we kept the, 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 the garden tools and uh, things like that. I can, I can still remember the smell of the tools and the old wood of that shed. And I got down on my knees and I talked to God. I really, I don't remember the words I said. What I remember is the intensity and the honesty of that prayer. I wasn't praying it for my parents or for my Sunday school teacher. It was just between me and Jesus. And I wanted him to know that I wanted him to be my savior. That's what I mean by your first real prayer unfiltered, unprompted by anyone or anything else than your own need in the moment. Do you remember yours? 
Maybe it was as a child or a teenager or maybe even an adult. Those are the kinds of prayers we're going to be looking at in this series. And I think that the kind of prayers we all need to pray a little bit more often. So let me tell you a little bit about the idea behind this series. It was inspired by the book that uh, uh, we've been telling you about today called Rediscover Jesus, a little devotional book written by a Catholic layman named Matthew Kelly. I think he's from Australia or New Zealand or somewhere, that part of the world. And it, it's such a refreshing book. Many of us have found that we're just encouraging everyone we know to read it. And we decided to make it available to you for this season of Lent to read as kind of a companion piece to the sermon series. Now, we're not going to preach our way through the book. It's not really structured that way. It's just 40 readings. So you can do one each day by yourself or maybe with your family around the dinner table or with some friends. Um, so take one home with you today. You can get one in your lobby or under your seat perhaps somewhere. $2 each. You can't even get a medium hot regular at Duncan's for that. So <laughs> that is two bucks is a deal. If you can throw a few extra bucks in for someone who can't afford it, then please do that. That would be great. Each Sunday in this series, we're going to be looking at one or several of those unfiltered prayers that we find in the Gospels. So whether we are new to prayer or been praying for a long, long time, I think we all have some things to learn about the kind of prayer that God is looking for, the kind of prayer that really makes a difference in our lives and even in the world. So we'll begin this week with uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 39. We'll just kind of walk through this little story and then try to pull some lessons out and then a personal application to our lives and to our church. So let's begin taking a closer look at verse 27 of Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now this encounter takes place a few months into Jesus' ministry as he's making his way through Galilee, teaching and performing miracles. And Matthew tells us right before this text that Jesus was enjoying great popularity in that district. But then look at the opening words of this story. As Jesus went on from there. So even though he's enjoying great popularity where he is, the crowds are coming out for teaching and miracles, he decides to move on. And we see this all through the Gospels. Jesus is always on the move, always going to the next town, the next place, the next person, the next encounter. It's tough after a while to keep up with Jesus. We hardly have time to process one teaching or, or event, and, and he's on to the next one. Well, then we read, two blind men followed him. Now, that couldn't have been easy. It's hard enough to follow someone in the crowd when you're able to see. These men, unable to see, either have to follow the noise of the crowd or of Jesus' voice, or they have to ask somebody to help lead them as they try to keep up with Jesus. And the point is, they were, there was something intentional on their part. They were determined to get to Jesus. And as they went, Matthew tells us, they were calling out. Some translations have it, they were crying aloud. So let's just pause for a minute and let me explain a little bit more about what we mean by this phrase, unfiltered prayers. In his book, Rediscover Jesus, uh, Matthew Kelly makes an observation of something I'd never really noticed before. He suggests that in the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we find the first Christian prayers. Now, 
He doesn't mean the first prayers of Christian people, which we find in the book of Acts after Jesus has returned to heaven and established his church. He's saying the first prayers people spoke directly to Jesus. Remember, for thousands of years, when, when, when people prayed, they, they talked to a God who was in the heavens, wherever that was, a God they really couldn't see and a God they really couldn't hear. And those prayers generally were, were offered in special places like tabernacles or temples or synagogues. They were offered on special days, the Sabbath day or a holy day. They were usually offered with special words or ceremonies or sacrifices or postures that were deemed appropriate for uh, approaching the king of the universe. Prayer was a pretty daunting experience. But now, for the first time, because of Jesus, people could simply talk to God. They could look him in the eye and just tell him whatever they were thinking or feeling in that very moment. They could look him in the eye and, and ask for help. They could sit across a dinner table and, and ask him a question. They could get in his face and tell him they were upset about something. In the Gospels, we find the first words of praise or confession or doubt or request spoken directly to Jesus, the first Christian prayers. And for the most part, they are unfiltered, without ceremony, without scripting, without prompting, other than the need a person was feeling in that particular moment. And that's what we find here in Matthew 9. So let's keep going. First thing these two men say to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, let's pause about that son of David phrase for a minute. It's a remarkable declaration especially this early in Jesus' ministry. I mean, that phrase, Son of David, comes right out of the Old Testament scriptures. It was widely recognized as a reference to Israel's Messiah, the long-awaited king who was going to deliver the nation, sit on David's throne, and make Israel great again. It's the first time in Matthew's gospel someone has used that expression about Jesus. Now, I'm not sure these men fully understood what it meant, but clearly they believed that Jesus was willing and able to help them. But this is what I really want us to focus on. Have mercy on us. Mercy is a favorite word of Matthew's. He uses it 15 times in his gospel. Now, if you use the same word 15 times in an essay, your English teacher is going to make you write it over again or go get a thesaurus and find some other words. But Matthew loves this word. All the writers of Scripture, old and new, mercy. So let's spend a minute with it. The simple meaning of mercy is to have compassion or to be sorry for someone. So mercy is something we feel for someone in need. But it's more than just feeling. It's not pity. Mercy is more than pity. Mercy also involves some kind of response to that need. So we might say that mercy is compassion in action. Mercy is feeling something and doing something. So when your kid's little league team is losing the game 14 to nothing, you invoke the mercy rule to just kind of put an end to the embarrassment. 
It's to feel and do something. But biblically speaking, the word is even richer than that. Here's what, how one commentator expresses it. Mercy is aid rendered to someone who is miserable or needy, especially someone without claim to favorable treatment. Well, now this is getting pretty interesting. Miserable is a pretty strong word. Mercy is for people who need help and know it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But it's also for people who have no right to demand that help. They are literally at the mercy of whoever it is they are turning to for aid. And so in that sense, this cry for mercy really is the first Christian prayer. It's the primal prayer. It's the quintessential. It's the mother of all prayers. Lord, I need help. I need you. And most of us don't like to think of ourselves as miserable. But we all come to moments in life when we are in need and we know it. We need forgiveness or we need wisdom or we need healing or we need courage or we need strength or someone we love needs those things. We're desperate for it. I was desperate when I went to the shed that day, desperate to know that Jesus was my Savior. And so we look to God and say, Lord, have mercy. Now, some of you are very familiar with that prayer. If you were raised in a more liturgical Christian tradition, a Roman Catholic tradition, for instance, you might have prayed this prayer every time you went to Mass. It's often described as the Kyrieleison, which is simply Latin for Lord have mercy. It would often be used as part of the prayers of the faithful. The, the priest might lead out by saying, Lord, we come to you today on behalf of those who are sick or in distress. And the congregation pauses for a moment, thinks of some people that they know and love, and they respond by saying, Lord, have mercy. Sometimes the Kyrie would be sung by a, a cantor or by a chorus. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It's a beautiful prayer. But you don't have to be in church to pray it. You can pray the Kyrie anytime, anywhere, in any moment from your heart. Lord, have mercy. And that's what these men do. Have mercy on us, son of David. It's a pretty impressive prayer. But then a really interesting thing happens. Jesus ignores them. Now, I know it doesn't tell us that specifically in the text, but but look at what we read in verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. When he had gone indoors. So here we have these two men. They're following after Jesus, probably making a bit of a spectacle of themselves as they try to do that. They're calling out this outrageous prayer, son of David, and Jesus doesn't even notice them. Doesn't seem to see or hear them. Now, hold on a second. We know from the gospel, the rest of the gospels, Jesus sees everything, right? 
Out of the corner of his eye, he sees the disciples turning away some children. And he says, hey, bring those children here to me. Looking out over a crowded synagogue on a Sabbath morning, he sees a man in the crowd hiding a withered hand under his garment, and he calls that man forward. In a crowded street, he feels the woman tug on the bottom of his garment, and he stops and he ministers to her. Jesus sees and hears everything, and he almost always stops to deal with them, but not here, not this time. He continues on his way, all the way into the house he was going to, leaving these men outside. Now, hold on to that observation, because we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. Let's keep going, verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Now, let, let's give these men some credit here. They didn't give up, even when it seemed like Jesus was not paying attention to them. And remember, chances are this is a crowded house. Remember the story of the, of the four men who came with a friend? The house was so crowded they had to cut a hole in the roof. This is probably that kind of a house. And so they've got to either fight their way through the crowd or get someone to help them get in. They're persistent. Then finally, Jesus notices them. And he says, do you believe I'm able to do this? It's kind of a silly question, isn't it? I mean, these men have followed him all this way. They've embarrassed themselves. They've made this outrageous declaration. It sure seems like they believe he can do it. But Jesus asks them anyway. Yes, Lord, they replied. And then notice what Jesus does. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus touches them right at their point of need. Right at the point of their uncleanness. Chances are, these men had not had anyone touch their eyes for a long, long time. And Jesus says, I am not afraid. And he touches them at their point of need. It's so personal. It's so just what they needed. And then he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Their faith, their confidence in him, expressed by their following him, by their calling out his name, by their persistence. Now, in the weeks to come, we'll talk a little bit more about this relationship between prayer and faith. I mean, clearly, their faith is a factor in their healing. Jesus says so. But we also know on other occasions, there's not much of an evidence of faith or very little faith, and yet Jesus still sometimes performs a miracle, and sometimes he doesn't. So there's a bit of a mystery here about faith and healing and prayer, and we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But right here, we're told, their sight was restored. Their eyes are opened, and they can see, probably for the first time in their lives. Now, maybe you've seen videos, and you can Google them afterwards if you want, of people who, through some surgical procedure or medical technology, are able to see for the first time in their lives, to see the sunrise, to see the trees, to see the faces of people that they love. And, and when they do, they, they burst into tears, or they laugh out loud, or they hug the people they're seeing for perhaps the very first time. It must have been that kind of moment for these men. They woke up that day unable to see anything, and now they can see everything. And the first thing they see 
is the face of Jesus. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good story. Fascinating, inspiring. But what do we learn from it about prayer? Let me just offer three quick lessons and then a personal application. The first thing we learn is that sometimes the best prayers are unfiltered. I mean, that prayer, have mercy on us, was right from their heart, right in the moment, unscripted. It was raw. It was real. To some people, it sounded theologically wrong, blasphemous even. To some, it probably felt politically dangerous. To some in the crowd, it probably just got obnoxious as they made their way along and they kept calling out this prayer. But these men didn't care. They, just, they were needy and they knew it. They weren't afraid or embarrassed to make their need known and so they said it, Lord have mercy. They didn't worry about being politically correct or theologically astute or culturally relevant. They just cried out to God from their hearts. Sometimes the best prayers are unfiltered. Jesus wants us to pray like that from our hearts in the moment. Whatever we're thinking or feeling, just, just let it go. Now, I, there is a place for carefully thought out prayers. I've shared with you, I, I often write out prayers as I interact with the scripture or talk to God. It just helps me discipline my thought, clarify what I'm seeing or thinking or saying to the Lord. And so I find it helpful to write out a prayer sometimes. And there's a place for that. And there's a place for formal prayers in a public worship service with hundreds of people praying along. You choose your words carefully when you pray like that. There's a place for praying prayers that other people have written, maybe have been passed down through the centuries to us. Those are all good prayers. But there are times we just need to let it fly without worrying about whether we have the words or even the tone right. Just telling God what's on our heart, even if it's not pretty or fully baked. So if you're new to prayer, if uh, you feel intimidated about talking to God, you don't have to feel intimidated. Be encouraged. You know how to talk to people, don't you? You know how to turn to a friend and tell them something that happened to you that day or ask a question. You know how to shout at someone to get their attention. You know how to raise your voice when you're excited or upset. You know how to cry when you're sad or complain when you're unhappy. You know how to laugh out loud when you're having a great time. Just do that. Do that with God. Talk, shout, cry, laugh. Just let him know what's going on in the moment. He loves prayers like that. And if, like me, you've been praying for a long time, I've been praying prayers for a long time since the woodshed. I've gotten pretty good at it. I actually get paid to pray. <laughs> but there are times you just need to let it go. When something happens in your life or the life of someone you love, something happens in the world, something happens in the church, just Tell it to God with whatever you're feeling at the moment.
and let him meet you at that point of need. So sometimes the best prayers are unfiltered. Most of the time, prayer is interactive. Interactive. Notice how Jesus draws these men out. I think he ignored them on purpose. I know that sounds kind of rude, but I think he ignored them on purpose. I think he was stretching out the interaction, not just for their sake, but for the crowd's sake as well. Remember how he asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Of course they believed that they wouldn't have come all that way. But Jesus is giving them a chance to say it out loud and to say it in front of a bunch of other people as well. Then he touches them personally. Prayer isn't about getting things from God. Prayer is about getting God, about deepening your relationship with him, about interacting with him. Prayer is give and take. It's back and forth. It's listening and it's talking. And so, yes, Jesus stretches it out sometimes. He doesn't always answer our prayers right away. He doesn't always give us what we asked for or when we asked for it or the way we asked for it. He's stretching us. He's growing us. He's drawing us deeper into dependence upon him. He's more interested in the conversation sometimes than he is in the outcome. So prayers are unfiltered, interactive, and thirdly, all the time, prayer is transformative. Transformative. When I say that, I don't mean so much prayer changes things, although sometimes it does. What I mean is prayer changes us. It changes the people that we're praying for. Usually when we come to God in prayer, we're wanting to change some circumstance. We want better health. We want a new job. We need more finances. We want a relationship to be restored. We need wisdom for a decision. And it's fine to pray about those circumstances to change. But ultimately what God is about is changing us, changing our hearts. Prayer isn't getting what we want from God. It's getting what God wants for us. And what God wants for you is for you to be whole and well, to be your best self, for you to become the person he made you to be, a person who looks like Jesus. That's what God wants for you. He wants to change us. And that's what happened to these men. I mean, they came to him because they wanted their circumstances to change. They wanted to be able to see. And by God's grace, they were able, his mercy, they were able to see. But something else changed as well, something just as dramatic. Let's look at the last verse. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over their region. Now there are a couple things going on here with this warning not to tell anyone. For one thing, Jesus is trying to slow things down a little bit so the thing doesn't unfold too quickly. But he also... He wants everybody to, to make their own decision, to, to have their own encounter with him and come to their own conclusions, not just being based on what someone else tells them. So he tells them not to say anything. But of course they do. I mean, can you blame them after something like that happens? How could they not? Especially when everyone who knew them knew they couldn't see and suddenly they could. Instead, they went out and they spread the news everywhere. They became witnesses. Now think about that for a minute. What's the one thing you don't expect a blind person to be able to do? To be a witness. A witness is someone who sees something. Sees it so clearly they can accurately testify to what happened. 
Up until this day, these men could never have been witnesses. But because of what Christ did, they became something they never could have. They became witnesses. They spread the news about Jesus all over their region. Their whole lives, they've had to have other people lead them around. Now they're the ones leading people around. And where are they leading them to? Jesus. Talk about transformation. They've become something they never could have been without Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants for you and for me and for us. And it begins with a cry for mercy. So you can probably tell this message and this series is very personally meaningful to me. There's a reason for that. It was kind of birthed out of a moment I had with the Lord a couple of months ago. It was back in January. I was reading through Matthew Kelly's book devotionally, and so I found myself in this chapter of his about first prayers, and and I found myself in this passage of Scripture. And at the time, back in January, here at Grace, we were in the midst of some very challenging conversations about, about the church, about the future, about ministry. Now, I wasn't miserable exactly, but I was needy. I needed wisdom. I needed vision. I needed clarity and grace. And in that place of need, I found myself sitting on my couch in the morning with the scriptures, this story in front of me. And I sensed the Lord meeting me in that moment and having mercy on me, meeting me at my point of need. And after writing pages of observations, many of which I've just shared with you, I I finally wrote these words in in my journal that morning, and I'll just read them to you, unfiltered, so to speak. I believe the Lord is speaking to me and to us at grace through this, waiting for us to come after him in prayer, confessing our need, seeking wisdom, calling out to him, persevering, getting on the same page with him. He's waiting for us and will continue to wait and test and see if we will really seek him and trust him. We want and need a fresh encounter with him. Jesus is on the move. He wants to see if we want to be part of it too. So here we are, friends, in a moment of change, wondering what's next, waiting on God to show us the way. We sense that Jesus is on the move, and we want to follow him like those blind men. And so today, and and for the next six weeks, we are going to cry out to God for mercy. We're going to ask him to meet us at our point of need. Let him know that that we're trusting him, that we're seeking him, that we, we want to follow him wherever he leads us. But what better thing could we do in this season than enter into a season of prayer? Admitting our need, asking for help, inviting him to do something new and good and powerful to transform us into the people in the church that he would have us to be.
That's why I want you to, I want to, I want to invite you to join me in a season of prayer for these next 40 days or so. And there's a variety of ways you can do that. There are going to be opportunities to pray on all of our campuses over these next 40 days. You can talk to your campus pastor about how it's going to work. Here in Lexington, I'm going to be in the chapel Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Just praying, that's all. No big program. But if you'd like to come pray with me and a few others in Lexington Wednesday night at 7, there'll be things happening on other campuses as well. I encourage you to take home the Rediscover Jesus book. Spend a few minutes with that book each day, 40 days, in the morning with your family, whenever. You can actually follow us on Instagram. That sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? <laughs> but you can follow us on Instagram. We're going to offer a prayer prompt every day on Instagram during this season of Lent. And then you can join us each Sunday as we look at some of these in-the-moment prayers that we find in the Gospels and as we lean into prayer in our services. Because sometimes the best prayers are unfiltered. We're going to have a guided prayer moment in just a moment on our campuses as we finish up, but let me lead us in prayer first. We thank you, Lord, for this scripture, for this marvelous story, for how vivid and believable and accessible and honest it is. Thank you for the unfiltered expression of faith and trust on the part of these two men for the beautiful work you did in their lives as a result. Thank you, Lord, it's not just a story from long ago and far away, but it can be our story as well. Individually, as households, across our campuses and as a church, we ask you, Lord, to have mercy on us in this season and allow us to follow you into new and better days. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.